Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, So whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well... What better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. That's right, Joel. I'm excited that we've got another episode answering listener questions. We have an array of questions to cover today, man. Everything ranging from something as simple as replacing light bulbs to negotiating a lower annual percentage rate on a credit card, all the way to something a little fancier even, a lending club. That's that peer-to-peer lending. We're going to talk about that too at the end. Yeah, that sounds good, man. But before we get to those questions, I wanted to share with you something I recently read. Did you know that over 50% of the books sold in the United States now are sold through Amazon.com? Isn't that kind of crazy? That's, yeah, that's not so, man. Not only... I, I read the same article because you and I communicate like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not only physical books, but it's also like electronic books, audiobooks. I think it spanned all of the different media types that uh, Amazon's selling. It's insane, though. Yeah, man. I don't think that's great for competition. That's not overall a really good thing that one company is selling over 50% of something like books in our country. But I know our listeners are more savvy trying to save money when they're reading books or whatever. And the, the best way to do that is by going to the library. And Matt, we've talked about that before. There are also awesome apps out there like Overdrive that essentially let you borrow eBooks free from your local library system. And so, yeah, I just want to make people aware of that. As I was reading that, I was thinking, oh my gosh, there's so many people out there who need to know what Overdrive is, who need to go to their local library more, and who should consider skipping buying books on Amazon. Yeah, it was interesting specifically about that 
article, they were talking about how there's just a proliferation of fake counterfeit books that are being published because there's all these different independent sellers that are selling books on Amazon. And Amazon isn't doing a very good job policing what these different sellers are actually selling. And so what that means are there are just photo, like literally photocopied versions of books uh, with inaccuracies. Sometimes there's completely fraudulent books being published with like they'll rip a bio off of one author and then slap a different title that they make it made up on the cover and then they'll steal the guts out of another book that's selling pretty well and slap it all together and and try to sell that something else that article was pointing out though was that amazon they really don't have any incentive to crack down because they still get a cut of those sales of, of all the books that are being sold that are even counterfeit they still get their share and so what that means though is that it falls to us you know if you do need to purchase a book on amazon it, it falls to you as a consumer to to read the reviews to not just look at the lowest price out there something looks kind of fishy maybe actually read the reviews see what they're saying because it's going to be up to you you've got to be vigilant before you click to buy yeah that's a good point and i think one of the easiest ways to circumvent potentially buying fraudulent books on amazon is to just go get a physical book from your local library or at least borrow it for free on an app like Overdrive. We're living in weird times and I think Amazon purchasing is, is such an easy thing to do, which is why so many people do it. But also borrowing eBooks from Overdrive is incredibly easy. My wife's been doing that. She's even been borrowing audio kids books for our children this summer and kind of just puts it on during rest time. And they love listening to books and they're completely free from the library. So yeah, I just think that's a good way to go for lots of folks. Libraries are the best. No doubt. All right, Matt, let's mention the beer that we're having on the show today. This one's called A Visit to My Crazy Aunt. It's a gin and tonic style ale from Insight Brewing. And listener Riley sent this one our way. Yeah, this isn't your uh, your typical <laughs> New England style IPA. I'm actually really looking forward to trying this one out. And we'll share our thoughts on this one at the end of this episode. Yeah, it's completely outside of the box. So looking forward to checking it out. We'll let you know what we think at the end of the show. But let's get to our listener questions. And if you have a question that you want to submit for Matt and I to tackle on the show, you can do so if you go to howtomoney.com slash ask. Really easy instructions there for you on how to submit your question. And let's get to our first one of the day, Matt. Hey guys, I'm a regular listener and I love the podcast. This is Brett from Los Angeles and I got a quick question for you. So I have a car loan for about $7,000 and I'm currently on a repayment plan to pay it off in about three years. While I can comfortably make these payments and I like the credit score improving aspect of making so many on-time payments as I am relatively young at 24 and still trying to build a robust credit score, I also don't like the idea of having such a large debt hanging over my head. Are there any implications for me making a one lump sum payment to bring this total debt down from 7,000 to say 1,000 or 700 and then making the same number of planned payments on that debt just also scaled down? In other words, I'd still be making the same number of payments, but they're smaller. Does that provide less credit score benefit? Thank you so much for your time. Hey, Brett, that's a great question. Uh, and thanks for listening out there in LA. And so the biggest question that I think we should turn and ask you is, do you care more about your credit score or do you care more about your money? Ooh, asking the hard questions, man. Yeah, I've, I've turned the tables. <laughs> <laughs> so if your focus is on your credit and keeping your credit score up, using this strategy to keep a line of credit open, it can and probably will help your credit score because this is a, an installment loan. There's two types of loans out there or two types of credit, right? You've got revolving credit, that's like credit cards. And then you've got installment debt, like a mortgage or a car loan. Both of those factor into your credit mix. 
But if you're trying, Brett, to raise your credit score, well, make sure that you're doing it for a worthwhile purpose. Are you attempting to use your credit for a major purchase in the near future? If you're trying to buy a home relatively soon, well, then this is a great route for you to take because keeping that line of credit open and showing that it's in good standing is really good for your credit score. But if you're not attempting to use that credit score for something big in the near future, I think you're overthinking it and it's probably just not necessary. That's right. And in that case, you should be focusing on your money. If the rate is at 5% or above, maybe 7%, consider paying it off completely. Just be done with it. Uh, You could also consider paying off other debt that might have a higher interest rate. And Brett, you know what? You sound pretty efficient uh, how you use your money. It makes me think you also might be pretty organized and disciplined. So I would consider just getting a, a new credit card if you don't have one already. If you do have one, make sure you keep that line open. But just make sure that you're paying that off every month and you can continue to establish and build your credit. You're, you're only 24 years old. A lot of times your, your score is going to increase with age as you continue to take care of it. So it's, it's kind of a long game. Don't be too concerned with making sure that you have the best absolute credit score you could possibly have right now. Yeah, the, the length of your credit history is, is one of the main factors in how your credit score is constructed. And so at 24, it's just going to be really hard to have an 800 score. I mean, it's going to be next to impossible unless you are an authorized user on a parent's card since you were a little kid. But you can easily have a really solid score even if you don't have a really long history of having credit. But to Matt's point on opening another card, it is a quick ding to your score now, but it's a boon for your score in the long run if you handle the use of that credit card well. So think about that. Having more accounts, having diverse lines of credit, and having them around for longer periods of time is a good way to go. Just make sure you're not paying massive amounts of interest to build your credit score when you don't have any reason to use your credit score for a major purchase anytime soon. That's right, Joel. And Brett, also you mentioned you know the debt sort of hanging over your head. I think that's something uh, to note. That tells me that you really do like to you know not have things that you owe. There's an entire psychological component that you do not want to overlook. I don't want to discount that at all, right? Like it's it's hard to quantify. You can't put a number to that psychological aspect. But man, if if you know that that's going to make you feel better, that's all the more reason to go ahead and, and be done with that loan completely and just pay it off. No doubt. All right, Matt, we got four more awesome questions coming up, including a question about disputing the property taxes on your house. We'll get to that after the break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach. Every single summer, we've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. 
Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, Joel, we're going to get to that question regarding disputing your property tax. But first, a quick one about light bulbs. Hey, y'all. You discussed saving money on your utility bills. And one thing you mentioned was replacing incandescent bulbs with LED bulbs. Well, I just bought a new house and most of the light fixtures are fixed with incandescent bulbs. My question is, should I wait for those bulbs to die out before I replace them with the LED lights or go ahead and replace them with the LED lights? What will save me the most money there? Tyler, congrats on your new home. That's a big purchase, and I, I love that you're already thinking <laughs> about the nitty-gritty of what light bulbs you have in Gotta your Got to optimize this thing. You do. And Tyler's starting right at the very beginning, so that's really cool. And we did talk about cutting your utility bills in episode 87, and we mentioned that replacing light bulbs is one of the quickest, fastest ways to start to get immediate payback uh, and lower utility costs. So what will save you the most money? Replacing those light bulbs immediately? That's a good question. So if we're talking about CFLs versus LED bulbs, 
well then you might want to wait until those CFLs burn out because the difference in annual cost between an LED and a CFL, which is a compact fluorescent, they're the ones that kind of look like a, an ice cream cone. Yeah. Uh, they're kind of swirly. Those, <laughs> they also have mercury in them too. So watch out. That's if, true. If they break open. Watch out when disposing of those. That's for sure. So converting from CFLs to LED is less of a necessity because it's not like you're paying that much more to, to run those bulbs, even though LED bulbs are actually cheaper to run. That's right. However, if you have some traditional incandescent bulbs, man, go ahead and replace those right now. Per bulb, you could be saving at least $7 a year. Other estimates say potentially $17 per bulb, which yeah. is insane. Yeah, that sounds kind of nuts, right? But if you can go ahead and do that now, go ahead and replace that with an LED, you are going to have massive savings. I mean, if you're looking at you know multiple bulbs, like imagine you take those same numbers, multiply them at least, I'm guessing you maybe you've got 10 bulbs at least that you need to replace in your home. That could lead to some substantial savings. Yeah. And it's important also to check with your electricity company to see if there are any rebates on buying more energy efficient bulbs. Oftentimes there are. I know that at least where we live, Matt, the big box stores like Costco, I know you're not a huge fan. We've talked about that recently, but Costco actually has the best prices on LED bulbs right now. And that's because our local utility company, our local electricity provider actually subsidizes the cost of those bulbs that they sell at Costco. So you could buy a six pack of LED bulbs at Costco right now for $7. That's just over a dollar a bulb. LED bulbs typically are expected to last about 25 years. So when you're talking about spending just over a dollar a bulb and the length of time they're going to last, not to mention how little energy they use, I think it's almost become a no-brainer just to start changing bulbs out. Yep. LED bulb prices have plummeted. Because if you think back just a few years ago, this is a much harder question. LED bulbs were at $10 and then $8 and then $5. And as they've gotten closer to that $1 mark, it, it just becomes this really easy decision to make. Yeah. And before you spend all this time talking about how wonderful Costco is, I just bought like a 20 pack of bulbs off Amazon. We love them and we hate them, right? <laughs> but they've got uh, like Sylvania. That's one of the bulb companies, whatever. Yeah. They've got some on there and they're listed at just under a dollar. So they're giving Costco a little run for their money. Okay. All right. Um, and on the note of kind of the type of LEDs, it might be a little more confusing because they have like different temperatures and different lumens. That's a little bit different than wattage, right? Uh, when it comes to the color, most likely you want to get bulbs that say 2700 Kelvin or K. And what that means is that it's just a nice, warm, inviting light. You get anything above that, like 3000 and above, that light's going to be a lot cooler. It's going to almost seem blue. They call it daylight sometimes. Unless you're doing interrogations of humans yeah. in your home, <laughs> that's when you want that cold, brutal light, right? Yeah, exactly. Or maybe for your garage, you don't want it to seem super cozy in there. If you're looking uh, for bulbs in there, maybe you can get some 3000 degree bulbs in there. But otherwise, in the interior of your home, 2700 is what you want. That's what I just ordered. And that's what we have inside our home. As far as the brightness, typically you want to look at something around 800 lumens. The brightness levels are measured by lumens, and that's pretty much the equivalent of a 60-watt bulb. So just keep that in mind. If you want something brighter than a 60-watt, you can start looking at 1,000-plus lumens. But if you're looking for something a little more dim, like more like a traditional 40-watt bulb, then you can look at something that's more like a 600-lumen and below. All right, man. I think we just talked about life bulbs for... <laughs> I think that's it, right? <laughs> about as long as we can without everyone getting bored out of their minds. But that was a great question, Tyler. Super fun. Let's get on to our next question. Hi guys, my name is Shannon and I'm from Bedford, Texas. And my question is about disputing property taxes. So last year was my uh, first year as a homeowner and we just kind of went along with whatever. But this year we're expecting our property taxes to be a little bit higher because the area is really growing up and our home is appraising a little bit more. 
And so uh, we think we want to go about disputing it, but we wanted to know if y'all had any advice for how to do this. Do you just bash your home and try to show that it's not worth as much as it's appraising? Um, do you think it's worth the time that it takes to go dispute them? And lastly, do you think it might be worth it to hire a lawyer or a company that says they'll dispute it for you for a fee? Thank you. Shannon, great question. And before we kind of launch into this, bashing your home, you're not talking about like busting it up. So I just want to clarify that for folks. <laughs> Put some holes in the drywall. Yeah. Punch this hole and then take a picture real quick. <laughs> See, look, my, my home's not worth anything. It's full of holes. It's like my apartment in college, man. One of our best friends' apartments right next to us, they had a, there's literally a hole in the drywall right next, right next to the fridge. <laughs> and they would cover it with like sheets of paper and just like punch through it to pretend that they're punching through the wall like the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, college. I know, right? Right. And so we have another new homeowner here, by the way. Shannon, congrats on your home purchase last like year. Special homeowner segment right here. It is what it feels like. And it is kind of the season for people in certain states to dispute their home taxes. And Matt and I, man, we would say it's a worthwhile endeavor where it's applicable, where you do get a bill for your property taxes and you can actually dispute that tax assessment. It's really important to do so for accuracy and fairness. And Shannon, you live in Texas. Matt and I, we live in the state of Georgia, and we have to battle this every year as well, especially as investment property owners. I mean, I get five of these in the mail every year, and it can be a little overwhelming battling them. And sometimes the valuations can go up at ridiculously rapid clips of 30, 50, or even 100% of a value increase in one year. Personally, I think that the laws should change in how municipalities are allowed to tax your home, but that's a topic for another day. Well, yeah, Joel, before we dive into it, you know, one of the reasons we are seeing tax rates increase so much like that is a lot of times it depends on who you purchase the home from. And so if you purchase the home from somebody who bought that home as a foreclosure and maybe they paid like 20,000 bucks for it or they bought it 30 years ago. Yeah, exactly. And, and it sort of creeped along, maybe hasn't been assessed properly or fairly over the years. And then you buy it for, say, 200, which might be a, a perfectly fine price, right? But all of a sudden, the tax records shoot from twenty thousand dollars to two hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand, and well, guess what? The assessed value of your home is going to reflect that, and so the the previous taxes that were displayed for that property are really, really inaccurate. So make sure that you're keeping that in mind to to any homeowner out there who is considering purchasing a new home. Yeah, Matt. So the first step for homeowners to take is to file for homestead exemption in their state. That's the easiest way to save money on property taxes. Some people have worried that lowering the appraised value of your home, that, that essentially challenging this tax assessment and getting the value lowered hurts the actual value of your home. And that's not true. A potential buyer is not looking at what the tax records say your home is worth. They're looking at the Zestimate online. They're looking at comparable home values. They're taking into account your actual home, not what the tax assessor says that your home is worth. So there's no reason to think that challenging the tax assessment and getting the value lowered is going to hurt the true value of your home. And Shannon, the next step you want to take is to figure out the actual reason that you are disputing. You want to ask yourself the question, is it truly out of line? You can appeal based on a few different reasons, right? You have inaccuracy. Maybe they have some errors on your property tax assessment. They might have the square footage wrong. They might have the, the size of your lot incorrect. That's one way that you can dispute. Uh, you can dispute it based on uniformity, which means that if there are several houses, uh, say it's a newer development and a lot of the houses on your street are exactly the same and your house, for whatever reason, is the only house that is assessed $50,000 more than all the others, well, that's a uniformity issue right there. And then again, we kind of joked about busting your house up. But I mean, truly, in fact, if there are uh, some issues with your house, 
documenting you know those specific flaws with pictures that can be helpful uh, if it can bring down the market value of your home yeah and so texas has a similar process to georgia you can be heard by a board of your peers make sure that you have documentation in hand to prove your point when you do have that hearing pulling comps by looking up the market value of nearby homes is really helpful i, I would say pull five that have similar bedroom bath square foot within a small radius of your home. That's going to be the most helpful to prove your point and win the case. Matt, you know what interested me as I was looking through this because I'm planning to appeal property taxes of my own on a couple of homes that I feel like are inaccurate. Well, the county actually has the burden of proof to prove their case that the value they're citing is accurate. You don't have the burden of proof as the homeowner. So if you have decent documentation, if you have just found some supporting pieces of evidence for why they're wrong, you should win the case. And so that should put Shannon at ease too, as she's attempting to tackle this, that really the burden of proof is not this overwhelming evidence that she has to compile, but it should be more simple actually to win than, than that. Thanks, man. That's, uh, that's really encouraging. So it doesn't have to be like a, a Gresham novel where she has to show up like with her defense and the, the Pelican brief and <laughs> I all, hope it, all that, right? <laughs> I hope it is. I hope she writes a novel based on this appeal. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, my, my guess is that it would be a short one. And Shannon, on that note, getting a lawyer for a fee or sometimes they'll charge based on how much they save you, that may not be a bad way to go. It just depends on how much time you have and, and what your time is worth to you. You know, it's also dependent on how much your home is worth, what the value is, because as a percentage of the value of your home, we might be discussing, I mean, several thousand dollars here. So keep that in mind. But this is something that you can typically do easily uh, yourself in your spare time. It's worth doing a little bit of homework to see what the process is going to entail. Some boards might want to see an appraisal, for instance, and getting appraisal that might cost you a few hundred bucks. So right off the bat, you know, that might set you back a few hundred dollars at least. And if you're only looking to save yourself a few hundred bucks, well, you know, it may not be worth it. Also, instead of getting a lawyer, there might be a local realtor who might be able to help you out. I say this because uh, in our area, there's a specific realtor who has sort of taken this upon herself. She's been able to set herself up as an expert on the process of going through filing an appeal and going before that board. She knows the ins and outs. She knows what our local county is specifically looking for, and she knows what won't work. And so asking around and seeing if there's somebody like that, they might be offering like a free little seminar or a quick meeting with a bunch of folks. And for her, this is lead generation, right? Like she, she gets folks to sign up. She has their email. Certainly she's helping folks to, to appeal. But guess what? When the time comes for them to, to sell their house, they're going to remember her name because she helped them keep more money in their pocket. And so I think that's a pretty brilliant sort of marketing strategy and approach. But ask around, there might be some free resources available to you there in Texas. You know what this makes me think of hiring a lawyer to do this? It makes me think of like a service that we've talked about before called Ask Trim. And they'll take a huge cut of your savings to negotiate down your cable bill or your internet bill. And I don't think it's the worst idea ever. But the fact is, it's something that you can do for yourself pretty simply. And the same thing is true with challenging your property taxes. It takes just a small amount of gaining some knowledge and then following the process through to completion. And if you do the things that we've just outlined, I think you can easily do it yourself. And it's not worth giving a huge chunk of those savings to someone else when you could easily do it yourself. And the biggest thing that usually happens if you are able to successfully win your appeal is that that tax rate gets locked in for the next three years. At least in Georgia, it does. I'm not sure about Texas, but that's important to note because if you win once, it's not like you have to do the battle every single year. You get to sit back and relax for three years because of the hard work that you've done now. 
Yep, that's right, Joel. You, you got to read the fine print and know exactly what steps you need to take for your local county. And also pay attention to the, the date. Timing is important. And if you miss that deadline to file that appeal, well, there's nothing you can do until next year. So we've got two more really good questions. Stick around. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs 
and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, Matt, we got a question coming up about peer to peer lending, which is an interesting one to tackle, but let's get to this one on negotiating your credit card interest rate first. Hi, Joel and Matt. This is Cameron from Los Angeles, California. I was wondering. What would be the best way to go about negotiating a lower APR rate on one's credit cards? Thanks. Bye. Hey, Cameron, that is a a good question. And depending on your credit score, negotiating a lower APR, that's probably going to be your best bet. But there are some other options and some other avenues that you might want to consider. All right, let's get into those, Matt. Let's do it. An important thing to think about is if you can qualify for a credit card that offers a 0% interest rate for an introductory period. If so... Can you pay off that debt or get close to at least paying it off within that intro period? If you have great credit bouncing around like this to different 0% credit cards and focusing on trying to pay it down while your rate is still at 0% is a better way to go than just negotiating a few interest rate points off with your current credit card provider. And also credit unions. We are big fans and oftentimes we'll talk about heading there for a mortgage, different kind of loan products that you're looking for. Man, go there and check to see if they've got a great credit card that's available to you. Yeah, the Uh, interest rates are just so much lower on credit cards through a credit union than they are through the, the major credit card providers. That's right. But when it comes to negotiating down your APR on a credit card that you already have, you want to make sure that you are currently in good standing with that credit card company. That means you know having a good history of making on-time payments. And if you are, they're going to want to keep you. It costs them a lot of money to acquire good paying customers. <laughs> and that's truly, <laughs> they consider you a good paying customer yes. if you have a revolving balance. So they want to keep you. They want your interest payments And if you have a good credit score, they're more likely to actually lower your APR sum to keep you around. And if you've been with that credit card company for a while as well, they value that. I mean, sometimes they'll kind of punch it onto your credit card. It's like valued member since, you know, 2009 or whatever. But bring that up. That's that's a good negotiating point. You want to be polite, but you're negotiating here and it's good to bring up pretty much anything that's going to make you look better in the eyes of the credit card company. Yeah. So let's talk about the actual negotiation. You call and you ask. You ask politely for the recurring interest rate on your credit card to be lowered. Make sure to be polite. Know what typical market rates are that other providers are offering. And don't give up if you reach someone unhelpful at first glance. You might need to ask to speak to a supervisor or just hang up and call back another time. You can expect in all likelihood an interest rate reduction of between 3 and 7%. Some providers might offer a temporary adjustment while others might give you a permanent lower interest rate. Don't be afraid to haggle and to ask for more, but make sure to do it in a kind fashion that acknowledges that you're asking for a favor while at the same time mentioning how good of a customer you've been. Joe, you know this question, it kind of dovetails a little bit with uh, appealing your property assessment. If you don't ask, like there's no chance that you're going to get it at all, right? This, this kind of reminds me of the episode that we did about the art of asking for a discount. And so we would recommend going back to that episode. That was episode number 18, way back in the archives. And given that one a listen, it might give you some additional pointers uh, on what you can say. 
And we'll also put a script on our show notes for this episode of just essentially what you could call up and say to your credit card company when you are going to negotiate that lower rate. Yeah. Haggling is not really a part of our culture. Right. It's kind of a part of my innate personality, but uh, <laughs> but it's not really a cultural norm. No, Joel. That's just how much the milk costs, man. Stop haggling. <laughs> Listen, Kroger dude, I want a cheaper price. Uh, no. So I, I'm, I'm kind of weird when it comes to negotiating, but I think a script can help for a lot of folks. So I think that'll be helpful to have that in the show notes. But just remember that even just the threat of taking your balance and your business to another credit card company can be the kick in the butt that they need to provide you a lower rate. And then Cameron, once you are able to get your APR down, make sure that you're staying on top of your statements and that you do not miss a payment. If you were to be late on a payment or just miss it completely, well, your APR, your interest rate is going to shoot right up to where it was before, maybe even higher. Yeah, but you got this, Cameron, get your interest rate lowered. And you know what? Keep working towards eliminating that credit card debt altogether. That's right. All right, let's get to our next question about peer-to-peer lending. Hey guys, love the show. This is CJ from Honolulu, Hawaii. Had a quick question about what your opinion would be on making money by lending out money on Lending Club. I have a friend who's doing it. He seems to be making pretty good returns. In his case, he has a great credit score and took out a personal loan, which he's only paying 2% interest on and lending it out to folks on Lending Club for 14 to 18% interest. Does this sound like a viable option? Hope to send you guys some beers soon. Aloha. Joel, is this our first question from Hawaii? I think so. I don't know, but I'd like to go there in person and take questions. <laughs> Show up in person, take questions, record. That sounds like the life. What a fantastic place to live. Yeah. It's kind of expensive, but they do have a Costco. And so do they really? that makes things better. Is there a singular Costco for the for the big island? I think there's just one. That's the, how you say it, right? The well, big, the big island? Well, the big island is one of the islands. There are many. Oh. Uh, and I've never been. So. <laughs> Oahu is the most populated island, but is not the big island. Ah. Yeah. You know, because you've been there. I've been there twice. And I've been to three different islands, but... I want to go back. It's a beautiful place, man. I I, I always thought like, it's just a beach. How different can it be than Florida? No, it's way different. It's way better. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get to this question. CJ, you're talking about your friend. He's making like 14 to 18%. Man, that is amazing. I think there's going to be some anecdotal evidence out there. There are a few success stories like that. There are also a lot of folks who are not making a ton. And I know this from personal experience. Uh, Several years ago, I opened an account with Lending Club, put a few thousand dollars in there. And to date, I've seen between 1% and 2% on my earnings. Yeah, that's not very good. It's not very good. So I know it varies from person to person. But based on the majority of the sort of full-fledged reviews that I've seen, and this isn't just folks that are reviewing the product, but I'm talking about different folks that have done sort of a long-term review where they've, you know, they've had their money in for several years. I'm seeing multiple folks bailing and basically liquidating their money, taking out their investments. They're turning off the automated investing feature, which basically means the the cash reserves are growing and then you can, you know, you can withdraw that amount of money. But we do want to give Lending Club a fair shake. So Joel, kick it off. I want to mention one other potential pitfall with with what CJ was asking in his question. He said his friend was taking out a personal loan in order to lend money out on a peer-to-peer lending site like Lending Club. And we definitely wouldn't advise that. I think we have to say that right now. It's it's way too risky to borrow money to do peer-to-peer lending on a site like Lending Club or Prosper, especially since he's choosing incredibly risky borrowers, right? That's the only way you're going to get a return like that is if you're choosing the absolute riskiest borrowers on that site. So, so much of the risk and reward in this scenario is who you choose to lend to. And if you are going to lend your money out on a site like Lending Club, 
it's really important to invest in the sweet spot, which is lending to people with B and C grade credit. That makes the most sense based on historical returns and common sense. You're not lending to people with just ridiculously horrific credit scores. That often is a recipe for not getting paid back. But if you'll temper your expectations with the returns that you might receive and you lend to people with better credit scores on the site, you could potentially receive a 5 6 or 7% return. That's pretty healthy. But just know that even that is much riskier than other ways that you could be allocating your money. Yeah. I think one of the biggest problems is that the results seem skewed because a lot of folks who have earned double-digit numbers uh, in the teens, they got started with Lending Club early on. And back then, you were able to invest in riskier notes, not just the, the B and C notes, but they also had E, F, and G notes. Obviously, they had a higher risk associated with them, but they also paid much higher interest rates. And you know what? Lending Club doesn't even offer those notes anymore. They phased out F and G notes last year, and they stopped offering the E notes this summer. And so that's just one of the ways that they're looking to mitigate the risk. But guess what? With that mitigation of that risk means smaller possible return to you as an investor. So I don't think it's at all fair to assume that the, that the returns that were being earned over the past seven years are going to continue at all. Yeah, I think it's important for us to note here too, that while we think peer-to-peer lending can be a decent option for people who have invested well in tax-advantaged retirement accounts and potentially real estate too, for folks who have done well investing in those spheres, like let's say you're maxing out a 401k or coming close to it or maxing out your Roth IRA, if you're doing well investing in the tax-advantaged accounts that you have readily available to you, then I think this isn't a bad option for a small percentage of your investment portfolio. So it shouldn't be your first place to turn. It should be way on down the line with smaller portions of the money that you have to invest. And you should consider those tax-advantaged mainstream ways of investing to be top priority. Yeah, Joel, you mentioned the 401k and RA, but you didn't mention HSA. And that's actually a little tease to our Wednesday's episode. So stay tuned for that one. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm looking forward to tackling that one. Yeah, that's an advanced tease. (laughs) (laughs) However, that being said... If you do want to try out Lending Club, you want to make sure that you're comfortable with the risk and not just with the fact that this is peer-to-peer lending and that you're loaning to borrowers who are individuals, but just the fact too that all your money is tied up with an individual company, right? This is compared to your money spread out in the stock market and index funds where you're with hundreds of companies. Your money is with a singular company, Lending Club. So if you are going to go with them though, make sure that your investments, that they make up no more than five, definitely no more than 10% of your overall portfolio. This can sort of be play money is is how I view it. If you want to go for it, sure, but this should be money that you can afford to lose. Yeah. And me personally, I'm never willing to borrow money in order to invest. I don't like the idea of using leverage in, in the hope to seek future returns. It puts you in a precarious situation, especially in the potential event of something like a job loss. So I'm not necessarily sure, CJ, if you're thinking about going that same route that your buddy is. But if that's the case, I would definitely advise against that. And when it comes to investing as well in different brokerage accounts, don't forget the fact that Lending Club charges 1%. And so we talk about how fees eat into your retirement savings. That 1%, it's a big hit on your returns. No doubt. All right, Matt, that was a nice set of diverse questions. I today. kind of feel like we just picked on Lending Club, though. Like, they're not terrible, but at the same time, it's, it's it may not be the best move for a lot of folks. Yeah, you know? no, I definitely don't think they're terrible. And I actually think that they could be a great place, especially for borrowers to turn. Yes. If, if you're in need of funds. Lending so, Club, Prosper as well for, yeah. for private lending. 
And some people have had success investing their money in peer-to-peer lending. And honestly, I've at times thought of putting a small portion of my investments in a peer-to-peer lending site like Lending Club. I've never done it. I'm glad you've got some experience with it, at least to share, which is helpful. But yeah, there's like a proliferation of different kind of investing options now that we have the internet and peer-to-peer lending is just kind of one of those things that's grown a lot since its inception, probably like a decade ago. Yeah, that's right, Joel. Let's go ahead and get back now to our beer, which is called A Visit to My Crazy Aunt, <laughs> which is a, a gin and tonic style ale by Insight Brewing. Joel, what do you think about this one? Well, first, I'm not going to admit whether or not I have a crazy aunt because if any of them listen, I don't <laughs> want them to be upset with me. I will say I love this art, the can artwork. It almost has the same green that is in our album artwork. It's sort of like a sea foam kind of green. Oh, yeah, totally. Like a teal action. Yeah, that's a good call. All right. Well, I, yeah, I thought this beer was really unique and I love unique beers. I love drinking a beer that tries to reflect the, a taste in a cocktail or just presents me with flavors in a unique way that I've never experienced before. I thought this beer really did that. I think they did hit the nail on the head in, in trying to establish that gin and tonic style beer. It was a really interesting drinking experience. So major thanks to Riley for donating this beer to us. Yeah. Riley, thank you so much. Joel, I couldn't really drink this beer as a beer. Like I had to kind of go into it thinking, okay, this is sort of a cocktail inspired fizzy drink, less of an actual beer. Like it really did remind me more of a gin and tonic versus a beer, which I love gin and tonics, by the way. So I'm going to go ahead and put that out there. And because of that, I totally picked up on the the tonic notes, which is like quinine. Like that's the bitterness that you get in tonic. Uh, side note, when Kate and I used to shoot weddings, sometimes we would ask for just a glass of tonic. Uh, <laughs> because Is it just like bitterness. Yeah. Well, it's, there's something about that bitterness. It's, it's sweet, but it's also got that quinine bitterness action going on. And that was reflected in this beer. 100%. Actually, I don't know if there's actual quinine in this beer, but it sure did taste like it. But this was, like you said, a completely different beer drinking experience. It almost kind of reminded me of hanging out on the beach, drinking a Bud Light Lime which at times is completely appropriate. Sometimes, yes. That's not what we normally turn to, (laughs) Bud Light Lime. But it's like a blend between Bud Light Lime and like a a gin and tonic. And so it's not what we normally go for, man. But I actually enjoyed this. Yep, super fun beer, man. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode. You can find the show notes for this episode on our website, howtomoney.com. And we'll specifically link to those LED light bulbs that Matt found on Amazon for less than a dollar a bulb. That's right. They beat out Costco. And we'll also put that script up there as well on how to negotiate with your credit card company. Check those out over at howtomoney.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review over at Apple Podcasts. On the show, we want to empower others to get their personal finances together. And by you leaving that review, that helps us to spread the word. So thank you. All right, buddy. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. I liked your radio voice there. That was good. Thanks, man. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bedatum. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. 
David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 